You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. There we go. Oh, guys, good morning. The sweets are back. That feels like a big deal, doesn't it? I know. Back by popular demand. We're in a better place with that. Um, that's why we came here. No, it's not. Um, I just, there was a, something came out, the team prayed before we started, and there was a general sense around expectancy. I just, I'm expectant for what the Lord wants to do among us this morning. I want to pray that over you. Um, but before I do, I, I just had a sense in worship. Uh, I totally, like a plank, forgot to mention the prophecy, Mike. I'm sorry about that. Basically, if you're a leader in the life of the church and you have a word, you go and share it. If you're not a leader, please go and share a word with the coordinator so that they can share it. We're not trying to kick the life out of it or stifle the spirit. I hope you understand you can't just let anybody share. It could end up in, a, in an interesting place. But we want to know what the, the Lord is saying and we want to hear him speak. So sometimes at the end of worship, you may just hear a... A strange voice coming from no one holding a microphone. That's, that's someone just sharing a sense that they had during worship. But um, the, the, I had two senses this morning. I just wanted to quickly share. One is heaven is not silent. The Lord longs to speak. And I, I want to say that to some of you now, because I believe he'll be dropping things into you and onto you for other people in this room before you leave. And you may have just a strange sense and sometimes your thought pattern goes in a place that it wouldn't naturally go and you're like, how have I, I mean, maybe the Lord is saying something to me for somebody else. I just want to awaken you to that. The other one is I just had a sense that there's some people who feel really, um, worship this morning was really hard for you. You felt cold and distant and you felt unworthy and you felt quite unclean, actually. And, um, that is exactly why we need Jesus. I just want to remind you of Jesus. Honestly, come back. See him again. See him for... If, if it's, the, it's the sick that need a doctor. Remind yourself of why we need Jesus. We even sang it. Nothing stands between us. If you ever need reminding, it's the cross, it's the cross, it's the cross. It's Jesus. So worship might have felt distant and dry, but can I remind you of that afresh of just Jesus? And, and let that change something in the room, in your heart this morning. Let me pray of you. Father God, we welcome you. I pray that you would increase and elevate our expectancy. But it's our expectancy that needs to shift. Because you are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. Lord, would you break in through the power of the cross this morning into our hearts and minds. Cause us to fall afresh before the face of Jesus. There is no condemnation. You are a new creation. Let me speak that over you as we place our faith and our trust and our hope in him and him alone. Amen. Now, I've been, I've been doing a series, some of you have been around for a while, called Known to be Grown. It's kind of fascinating, actually, to see what the Lord is doing among us. And I know a number of you um, have, are quite evidently growing in this season. You've been on a journey with that and the Lord is doing something powerfully. And um, I just want to remind you, you are a significant part of your own growth. Willingness and cooperation are kind of crucial elements to what the Lord wants to do with you. And I want to spend a bit of time this morning looking at uh, 2 Corinthians and particularly chapter 4. But before we get there, I just want to skim over a few touch points on the way because there's some stuff that, whilst we can't spend loads of time on it, I just don't want to miss out. There's loads in there, and so let's just grab hold of a few key touch points, if that's okay. I'm going to jump in fairly quickly, but chapter 2, verse 11 
says this, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Now, there is some context to that, and I realize I'm glossing over some because of time, but the context is forgiveness. Forgiving so that the enemy doesn't grab a foothold in your life or those around you. And as much of the, the book of Corinthians does this, it speaks into pain and it speaks into division. And they are falling over each other and someone in the church has done something that is affecting the church's leaders, it's affecting the church as a whole, and it's affecting Paul. And he says in verse 10, when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. Firstly, they forgive him. Secondly, sometimes it is jolly hard to do that in the natural but you do it with the Jesus forgiveness. You do it with his authority. It's him through you. It's him doing it. We do it because that's what he commands us to do. We do it because that's the thing that he releases. You know, last week I shared with, with um, full permission a story about Abby. I'm not going to recount that. I'd encourage you if you missed it to catch up on it. But honestly, it can be incredibly powerful to see and hear moments of people's lives changed in that way. But I just want to dip back on a couple of things that she said because it relates to this passage. She said this, Chad, who was a guy who was speaking at Cause to Live For, explained that often headaches can be, res be the result of unforgiveness. I remember thinking, well, I don't have anyone to forgive. And he said, is there anyone you need to forgive? And I thought, uh, I'd have pushed my ex-boyfriend. But inside I was thinking, not really, I've already forgiven him. He asked me why, and then without even thinking, I immediately said, because he made me feel so unworthy. It's flowed into every aspect of my life. I had never thought that, so I knew it was something of the Holy Spirit and what he was doing at that moment. There was such a rush of the Spirit, and I felt quite, felt quite overwhelmed. That was something I'd never thought and hadn't realized I felt that way. It was very powerful as the three of them prayed for me, and I had, had an incredible encounter with the Lord. I was quite overwhelmed. He made me speak out some truths. I am worthy. I'm a daughter of the King, etc. And as I started, I really physically struggled to say them honestly it felt like a battle there is a significant thing about forgiveness that I think often we take lightly or we don't always fully realize if you carry unforgiveness it can grow into bitterness and it can grow into resentment sorry I'm not in any way trying to link what I'm talking about with Abby's story or what she was saying or what did or didn't happen with her. What I want to do is just use that as an illustration to remind us once again that forgiveness can be so key in unlocking emotional and physical healing. Some of that was last week, but for this week, if you carry unforgiveness, it can grow into bitterness and resentment and the enemy can get a foothold. The ultimate person to miss out is you. It will rob you. Unforgiveness will grow and not only impact you spiritually, but sometimes that can impact you physically. Forgiveness is often a route to physical healing. Honestly, this is kind of like, it's a really big deal. It's a big thing. Jesus went after this all the time. Forgive, 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 forgive. Satan, who is ever ready to try and destroy people and churches, will in the absence of love and forgiveness quickly try and sow the seeds of bitterness and division.
some of you, I think, will... Sorry, I know I've jumped in really quickly, but some of you will have some forgiving to do. Honestly, you will in among family members, you will with neighbours, you will with work colleagues, you will with others in this church, you will with others in wider life. Because we have to be careful so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. See, here's a, here's a few things. He's trying to outsmart you. He's trying to trip you up. And we've got to be familiar with that. We've got to be prepared and understand that. And also know that forgiveness is a huge weapon in disabling what he's trying to do. If you want to stop the work of the enemy in your life, go after forgiveness. Find the areas and the roots and the places that you need to release it. That's kind of one thing. Let me just touch on another key touch point, if I can. Chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Now, he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who have been saved and those who are perishing. Those who are perishing, we're a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? Paul's language is heavily rooted in images that people would have really understood and grasped hold of at the time. Military leaders were granted a public victory procession and there would have been the burning of incense along that route as almost a, a victory route. It would have been like quite ceremonial and a way of acknowledging Roman triumph. And the smell as well as the sight and hearing all of the fanfare, was all part of the splendor and the occasion of the triumph. And that's kind of the image that Paul's just trying to stir up for us. This is a good smell. You know, honestly, the illustrations I thought of this week that I'm not going to use, but this is a good smell. Not all smells are good smells. And um, I, I can smell even now, bizarrely, it's funny, isn't it, how this works? I can smell a good barbecue. I can, I can smell freshly cut grass. I can smell the warmth of a summer's evening. I can smell a chimney and toasting marshmallows. I can smell Sunday lunch. Do you know what I mean? You can, you can smell things by not even sometimes being there. I can smell getting off the plane on holiday and being hit by that warmth. And then that is a beautiful smell. And then suddenly it turns into a not so beautiful smell when you get on the bus taxi thing crammed on with a load of people to get to passport control. And it's, it's a different smell. But um, he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. That's a beautiful thing that we've got to get hold of. Our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who have been saved and those who are perishing. Of course it is. Because not everybody's going to love what we love in the way that we love it. And they're going to misunderstand at times. And they're going to knock you back. But don't let that deter you because you know that's coming. Because that's what he tells us is going to happen. You know, when I was younger, one of my mates particularly, but a couple of them, would have so much jolly aftershave on that you could, you could smell them a mile away. But what we got to take from this is, listen, knowledge isn't abstract. Knowledge is known. Knowledge is like a sweet perfume. You can know someone by their aftershave. Knowledge and knowing is a real thing. 
People will come to know God through you, through the fragrance that you emit. So sorry if this is taking this a bit too far, but you've just got to make sure it's a good smell, not a bad smell. Because sometimes I think we try and be edgy, don't we? Have you, have you, have you ever found that? What is that all about? Why do we do that? Lads, lads, lads. You know? It's like attitude, language, behavior. I'm a Jesus follower with a difference. I've seen people with the little fish stickers on the car, and it's like, my, my fish bites. And you're like, oh, okay. I swear, yeah. I drink too much. Well done. Like, honestly, what is that all about? And it's like, I'm not one of those holier-than-thou types. Lads, lads, lads. Like, what? Really? John 14, verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. You will he will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. If we love him, we need to increasingly obey his commands. Why do I say increasingly? Because initially, just come as you are. That's kind of what I started with this morning. Just come and see the cross again. Realize that he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. But goodness me, don't stay as you are. He leads you into truth. What a journey we're on. We're supposed to grow. The more we know, the more we grow. It's the knowledge of Christ. We can know him. He has knowable qualities. He leads us into truth. How? Through the Holy Spirit. We get prayed for. We pray for others. John 14, 17, the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives in you. You know him. I want to awaken that in you this morning, that you know him. You know him. Verse 16, but to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume who is adequate for such a task. The gospel of Jesus is life-giving and life-changing. Not everyone's going to get that or see that or realize that. doesn't mean that we need to sit back or relent in being that life-giving perfume. We spread Jesus and we don't lose sight of that being a priority. What's that going to look like for you? You ready for a, an interesting question? How do you smell to those around you? I don't quite mean it in a smell way, but it's, it's, it's not like gospel grenading. You know, it's like, what is the fragrance that you offer? Someone said to Steph um, just in the last few weeks, um, what do you do? And, and she told them, and they said, I, I knew that. And I'm like, of course you knew, because you caught something of the fragrance. It's the fruits of the Spirit that can be lived out and on display at any moment and any point. It's our reactions and interactions that reflect something of Jesus. How do you smell to those around you? It's kind of a really big deal. When I was about 14, um, one of my mates particularly, he was a great lad, I loved him, we 
played football every Sunday afternoon, but he just couldn't be bothered with church. So I cut out a load of letters out of a newspaper, um, different shapes and sizes, different colours, and I glued them all together on a piece of A4 plain paper, and I made up the sentence, go to church or else. And um, I, I, I stuck it in the post with a little stamp on it, and I didn't post it in my usual post box. I went a little bit further away, just in case I could be traced. And um, it seemed such a good idea. This, this was like pre-mobile phones, if those days exist now. But um, you, did, you couldn't drop them a cheeky text to say, hey, mate, did you get my, my bit of post? Because it didn't work like that. You had to wait till you next saw them in person and um, subtly try and work out what was happening. But what I didn't know is I didn't know he was at an age where his mum opened his post. And um, I didn't realise his mum would think the church youth group was like some kind of cult. And I also didn't realise that his mum would think this was like a lived out horror movie in reality. And she would call the police. So um, it's, like, it's like classic, I think, but horrendous delivery, uh, honestly. Excuse the pun, but in fact, it wasn't even the right idea at all. But now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. I guess you've got to work out what the smell's going to be like. And there's some things that are really helpful and some things that are less so. And I've got to say, I really, if, if you've slightly misunderstood, I really don't recommend that letter thing. Um, but let's just jump in a bit further. Chapter two, sorry, chapter three, verse two. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. It's the same as the fragrance. This is now just a letter written on someone's heart. How should we be making a difference in the lives of others? It should have a growing and increasing impact. It should, we should be stepping into a greater truth. Chapter 3, verse 3, this letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. This isn't a, a religious thing. This is a life-giving relationship thing life changing god is a life changing god who leads us into all truth of course he leads us into truth because he is the truth he's the way the truth and the life let me jump on a bit further verse 17 chapter 3 for the spirit so he saw the lord is spirit and wherever the spirit of the lord is there is freedom i believe that this morning so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. The veil is kind of a beautiful metaphor for blindness. The light needs to come on and the light is the knowledge of God. It's the knowledge of Christ, as the passage puts it. We see more in chapter 4, verse 3. It says this, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil... It is hidden only from people who were perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Come and see the truth. So what I want to say to us today is come and be led into truth. Don't settle for anything or anyone less than the full truth of Jesus. 
We read earlier, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we're familiar with his evil schemes. What's he trying to do? He's trying to blind you. And he's trying to blind you to the truth because he is truth. And we've got to have our eyes open to the fact that he is trying to blind us. Chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. The spirit of God with your active participation and cooperation is going to make you more like Jesus. What a beautiful thing that we've got to actively engage with. There are some of the touch points on the way. I couldn't skip that and just jump into chapter 4 because I think it's incredibly powerful. But let's just jump into chapter 4. It says this, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We we reject all shameful deeds and underhand methods. We don't try and trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. Now, there's a whole load of context to that. But Paul's opponents in Corinth have kind of leveled a load of stuff against him, and they accuse him of a load of stuff that we don't fully have time to unpick. But let me just highlight one key word in that paragraph. We never give up. Honestly, sometimes you may have, you might be now or in the future, you might take an absolute hammering. You might feel demoralized. Throughout this pandemic, so many people have yo-yoed emotionally, spiritually, relationally more than normal. You know, it's not like good days and bad days. It's for some, it's almost good hour, bad hour. Never give up. Don't give up on the journey of becoming more like Jesus. Just because you've mucked it up, just because you might fall flat on your face, just because there's resistance and opposition, never give up. Go at it again. Get back. God, in his mercy, has given us this new way. Never give up on pursuing Jesus. But as you pursue Jesus, I think there's going to be some things that you give up to go up. Let me just explain. I love a bit of a tongue twister, so if that doesn't make sense. But when, when Paul gave stuff up, it meant that he went up. He increased in his relationship with Jesus and his ability to interact with him. That's what I mean. He grew up. He grew in his obedience and his ability to live it out. Paul made all kinds of sacrifices so that he could stick firmly rooted in the God-given mission that he had for him because he had a purpose and he had a mandate and he lived it out. We've looked at some of that in previous weeks. But as he gave stuff up, he increased in authority and he lived in the new realm that God had for him. Let's just look at what he gave up to then pick up. Actually, before we do, let me just not skip verse 5 because it says this. You see, we don't go around preaching ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. It's him, 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 him. It's never us, us, us. We are just servants of Jesus. Such a big deal. We could spend a whole week on that verse alone. We are simply here to serve Jesus. Honestly, one of the, one of the um, passages I read most in the Bible I think gives context to that passage. Luke 17 verse 10 says this. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of the sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? 
No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, serve me while I eat, then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we're unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. You know, when we obey God, we're just doing our duty. And actually, we should regard that as a privilege to do. Do you sometimes feel that you deserve credit or something more for serving God? Remember, obedience isn't something extra we do. It's just our duty. Jesus isn't suggesting that our service is meaningless or useless, nor is he advocating doing away with rewards. He's attacking unwarranted self-esteem and spiritual pride. Verse 5, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. It's just our duty. It's him, 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 and not us in any way. We're just servants of Jesus. Simply here to serve Jesus. Anyway, don't let me get lost in verse 5. I wanted to say, what is he giving up to pick up? It says this, verse 7. We now have this shining lights in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile jars of clay that contain this great treasure. This makes it clear that our power is from God, not from ourselves. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. What's the the first thing that Paul gives up? He gives up his health and his comfort. Verse 8 says he felt hard-pressed. Well, how did that mean that he went up? How did he grow as a result? He discovered that he wasn't crushed. He's hard-pressed, but he isn't crushed. He could endure something beyond that that he realized he could. What's the second thing he gave up? Well, he gave up calm and he gave up certainty. Verse 8 says he felt perplexed. Well, how did that mean he went up? How did that mean he grew up? He never fell into despair. He was perplexed, but he never fell into despair. The third thing, what did he give up? He gave up peace and acceptance. Verse 9, he was hunted down. He was persecuted. Well, how did that mean that he went up? How did that mean that he grew up? He was never abandoned by God. He was never forsaken. Fourth thing, what did he give up? He gave up his strength and his self-assurance. Verse 9, he got knocked down. Well, how did that mean he went up? How did he grow up? He was never destroyed. He might have got knocked down, but he was never destroyed. Fifth thing, what did he give up? He bore the marks of Jesus' death. Verse 10, through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death. Well, how does that mean he went up? How did he grow up? So that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. He received the life of Jesus. 
the power and the authority that comes through knowing him, the freedom. Paul regularly had to give something up to grow up. So this is the calling on our lives is a life of sacrifice and surrender, but in our weakness we find strength. As we realize we can't, we realize he can. And when we think we can, so often it limits us because we start to rely on us. We've got to give it up to go up. We've got to give it up and realize that this thing is really not about us. So if you feel you're, you're pressed on every side by troubles, if you feel that you're perplexed and in a state of confusion, and if you feel hunted down, almost harassed by the burdens and the challenges that you face, if you feel that you've been knocked down and it's almost kicked the stuffing out of you, if you feel that you could almost say in many ways that you've been sharing in the death of Jesus, well, then you have to also realize that in that place of weakness, we actually find strength because we come to rely on him rather than ourselves. And this can and should cause us to be closer to Jesus. And we are not crushed despite it all. We're not driven to despair. We have the reminder that we are never abandoned by God despite feeling that we may be incredibly close to it, we're not destroyed. And throughout all of this challenge and hardship and difficulty, the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. If we allow ourselves, we are, despite all of the burdens and pressures, life-giving perfume. So how how does that actually look? How does that practically work in reality? Well, I think verse 7 is key. It says this, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This means, and this makes it clear, that this great power is from God, not from ourselves. It's him. I feel like I'm a broken record, and I just want to say the same thing the whole time. But it is him. It's him, him, him. It's never us. We've got the contrast of this priceless jewel and yet the container that it's in. The treasure, verse 6, the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. The earthen vessel in which the treasure is contained, the human body, which is subject to decay and vulnerability and weakness and disease and injury. That's not accidental in any way. It's completely deliberate because verse 7, it makes it clear that the great power is from God and not from ourselves. The power to lift us out of our powerlessness is in the face of challenges. It's in the, the, the fragile nature. It's in the struggles and the hardships and the physical pains and the ailments And it's not going to come from within ourselves. We're not going to find it. It's found in the face of Jesus and comes only from God. Because we're like a fragile jar of clay in order that the power might be seen and displayed and known as to being from God rather than ourselves. If the treasure had been contained in this strong and permanent body, it would have proved an incredibly challenging combination for our human proud mindset. Yet the immense difference between the treasure and the vessel is supposed to show that human weakness is no barrier 
to the purpose of God. If anything, the power and the purpose of God is made perfect in weakness. So if you find yourself coming in utter powerlessness and weakness, praise God. Because then the glory and the power of God can be displayed through you. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 8. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness, in the insults, hardships and persecutions and trouble that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. Now, one of the real challenges, I think, with this is we all spend our lives trying to do the exact opposite. Have you found that? Try not to be any of that. We don't want to be weak. And if we have weakness, we don't want to admit it. I don't want to show you my weakness. I want to be self-reliant. I want to be self-sufficient. Do you find that in your lives? And not only that, but our other very human way to counteract our feeling of weakness that we do have, and we are actually supposed to live in, at its absolute worst, but so easy to do, even subconsciously, is rather than actually admit it, is to try and step on somebody else and to put them down and to belittle them because it makes us feel less weak and slightly better. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever faced that? Many of you will have faced it. Many of us will have done it. But we have to be familiar with the schemes of the evil enemy. We've got to awaken to this because that's what he does. We've got to know our place. I am so weak, but therefore I find and I know and I live out the fact that he is so strong. Don't, don't look at me because all you're going to see is weakness. Look at him. Because all you're going to find is strength. I, I, I finished with this this morning. I, um, I do two jobs. And I phoned my boss this week and I said, I said, I'm sorry. I am really sorry. There's a few things and a few dynamics of some stuff that we're working through and dealing with at the minute that meant I'm not acting or living in a way that would have made it easy for him to lead me. I wasn't necessarily wrong but the way I was going about it was wrong. And I phoned him and I said, I'm really sorry. And he said, you, do, you, don't, you don't need to. I said, I said, no, I do. Because we have to keep ourselves in check. We have to keep ourselves and actually intentionally put ourselves on a short leash. We've got to make sure we smell right. We've got to make sure that the cracked, broken, fragile, often dirty jar of clay allows the treasure to be seen and actually that it's only the treasure that is seen rather than us getting in the way or limiting it or concealing it because that is what makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves I want to see in my own life but I long for it for you the power of God on display it's part of God's plan that people would see him and his power in us and through us Yes, in us and through us, but not seeing us, seeing him. 
being left with something of a taste and a fragrance of Jesus, not a taste or a smell of our humanness. So we get out of the way so that his glorious light can be seen and revealed more evidently in our lives. And that's where the power of his presence is. And in his power, we find his presence. And in his presence, we find his power. Does that make sense? Shall we stand? Steph, do you want to join us? Near me. Let's just let's just take a moment, make some space for the Holy Spirit to move among us. Why not open yourselves up to that? I'm expectant for the power of God to be displayed. But to do it, to see it, to reveal it, we've got to get out of the way. So, Lord, we acknowledge our humanness. And we welcome you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, would you send your Holy Spirit? Come, Lord Jesus. Let's just wait. That's him. We don't want to rush what the Holy Spirit's doing. We just want to be listening to the whispers and almost just catch the whiff of what the Holy Spirit's doing and try and just track that, be in step with that. We may get a sense, we may offer some words or pictures, but ultimately he's the one who leads this. And so I encourage you just to go with it whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is doing in you, whatever he's speaking to you about, whatever business he's doing, whatever transaction is taking place between you and him, let that be the primary thing. Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. Come and move among us. Be speaking and stirring and ministering to us. Thank you for your beautiful, powerful, steadying presence. We sang in in worship, um, we can let go of every disappointment. And it's been ringing in my ears ever since we sang it this morning. I think there are some of you that are, are holding on to disappointments and you are becoming increasingly aware that they are eating you alive. You are just suffering under the weight of disappointment. in Jesus and because of the hope we have in him we can let go of every disappointment that doesn't invalidate the disappointment it just means that he will take it and he will heal us I don't want to repeat everything I said but I just feel strongly that some of you you need to know you're forgiven this morning and, and some of you need to release that freedom and forgiveness over others you know that you're harbouring a, a unforgiveness over others 
also I think some of you is like you're trying to live and you've fought to live in a place of strength even subconsciously and I just want to invite you into weakness mm. the realisation that you're not in control and you can't be in control it's so freeing and liberating because it's the mandate on our lives Let's respond now. Respond in our hearts where we are, or perhaps come forward if you'd like to be prayed for, or just as a, a kind of acknowledgement of the fact that you are aware that the Holy Spirit is doing something in you. Just taking those steps to almost engage your will and your heart and your mind in that process of, okay, the, the Holy Spirit is doing something and I want to, I want to press into that. So while you're all standing, why don't you just start coming out from where you're sitting and come and stand at the front or the sides and we'll make sure that someone in the life of the church, in a small group in the life of the church, will pray for you. I kind of want to give some of you permission to do that. I said it last week, but if you're, if you're under the age of 110, you probably need praying for. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're over that age, well done. So let's pray for each other and let other people pray for us. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.